You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Troy Mangum, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's so good to have you on the program. I'm excited, Brian. You walked through a very difficult season in your life that almost cost your marriage, but you came to the end of yourself, and that's when you experienced something about God's love that literally changed everything in your life. So please share a little bit about yourself and your story. So my name is Troy Mangum. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been married to my amazing wife, Kathy, for 26 years. We have four kids, a girl, boy, boy, girl, and the oldest one is a girl. She's married. And then the next one down is a boy. He's in college. And then I've got another son that is just graduating high school this month. And Mm -hmm. then I've got my youngest is 16 years old. All right. And yet to have her driver's license. So I am apparently getting older because all my kids are getting older, but I don't feel it. (laughs) You're not getting older. That's not happening. (laughs) Just a a real quick on kind of who I am, where I come from. So I I grew up pretty much suburban kid in, in the Raleigh area. Both my parents were working professionals. I have an older sister who was about five years older than me. And sort of the the dirty little secret, if you will, in our home was there was a lot of domestic violence Mm -hmm. uh, with my father towards my mom. Mm -hmm. And so we had the veneer of a very put together family that was successful. And, you know, we went to church and all that. And in, in the inner workings of our family, there was just terror and fear and just all kinds of trauma. Wow. And so... As a young boy, I just kind of suffered through that with the help of my sister who would kind of comfort me through the process. And it went on for probably eight years through my elementary years in middle school. And then my father ended up getting help. And then he, once he kind of got better, he kind of dove in his career. And then he was a traveling salesman throughout the United States. And he kind of was gone through my teen years. Mm. And during that time in my teen years, I kind of turned to rebellion out of all that pain and out of all that hurt. I was a singer in a lot of bands that glorified rebellion mm-hmm. <laughs> and and everything related to it. Out of that music scene, I had a friend of mine that came to know Jesus, was born again radically. We went to the same college and he started saying, hey, Jesus is great. And I'm like, look, I'm not interested. And then he started praying a very radical prayer for me, which was that I would meet God in an undeniable way through my dreams or through drugs. And he didn't tell me he prayed that, but that's exactly what he prayed. And that's exactly what happened. So six months into my college career, I have just an incredible encounter with God while I was on LSD. The short of it is I come out saying, okay, I'm no longer an atheist. And so I, I believe there is a God and he knows who I am. But that didn't mean I wanted to follow him. So I told my friend, hey, this is what happened. He tells me what he prayed. And I'm like, look, I'm not ready for this whole God thing. I know he exists, but I'm not ready to follow him. And so I eventually, it took about eight months, but I surrendered my life to the Lord once I ran out of steam on all the things that I was doing, trying to find life, mm-hmm. and then jumped in with my friend. He was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ at the time, or crew now, and was discipled in that ministry, and I've you know never looked back. That being said, 
even though I was dramatically born again, God was very, very real for me. He set me free from drugs and alcohol and pornography and all the things I was involved in. I still had a traumatic past. And that traumatic past would come to kind of, I want to not really haunt me, but I had a, a viewpoint that, hey, I'm bored again, like snap your fingers, everything's better. My thought process, my emotions, my my mental state, like everything's magically perfect now. But that was not how that, that story played out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just kind of fast forward, serving God, love God, meet this wonderful woman who loves God. We get married. And and I think in the marriage is when things started to really started to show some of the brokenness that was in my past that I was really just not wanting to deal with. I didn't want to go to counseling. I didn't I was not interested in really getting help because by God, I'm a new creation and I don't need help. Where do you think that thought was implanted that there wasn't any need for sanctification, which in many of our lives is a long-term process, like lifelong. What made you think that this would be a snap-the-fingers kind of a thing? I, I think that it was not a false teaching, but my fear. Hmm. So I think I was so afraid to go back and really deal with what I went through that it was sort of a faith and fear thing. I didn't have a strong enough faith to, to say, okay, God, let's go into my deepest, darkest fears, which at that time, I think my darkest fear was I'm going to become a monster like my father. I'm not going to be able to be avoid it. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. And, and I was afraid that was going to be true. So the hand was yeah. up as you were living life like, no, 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 talk to the hand. I'm not going to do this. Right. Okay, so please continue. Yeah, so basically, because of the background that I talked about, one of the ways that I was not sanctified is that I did not trust anyone, especially those that were older or in authority, Hmm. because of my background. So God was great. Jesus was great. He and I were great. But if I started getting inputs from pastors or from older gentlemen or from anybody in my life saying, hey, you need some help or you need to grow, I would just question their motives. And I I just was an extremely hurt, distrustful person of anyone else. My wife would quote a proverb to me, and I would be so frustrated. She would say, you know, with many counselors or many advisors, plans succeed. That's a proverb. Mm -hmm. She would quote that to me, and I would be like, There's no way, you know, I'm not asking your father. I'm not asking my dad. I'm not asking the pastor. I'm not asking anybody. And so I just was very uh, obstinate in that regard because I was so mistrustful. As a result, it was the school of hard knocks for us, which was I'm just going to trial and error this thing through. Just me and God trying to figure out what God's will is with no input from anybody. And what ends up happening is a lot of fits and starts in our marriage. I'll give you a case in point. So God led me to seminary. I go to seminary. I kind of feel like I should just do a one-year program because we're going to go be missionaries. And that's really what I thought we were going to do. I finished a one-year program. It was just another year to get a master's. People are saying, you know, you should really kind of consider that. And I'm like, no, God said one-year program. I'm not going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And whether he said it or not is irrespective. It's just I wouldn't hear anybody's input. And then it's sort of like I've got nowhere to go. I've got no money. I've got nowhere to go. I've got two kids. And some I squeeze out some opportunity to go to Seattle with the Foursquare Church with some sort of mission building thing. I get there and they're like, yeah, you can totally do this. And by the way, everything's by faith. 
and there's no salary. Good luck. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is it. So I ended up at my in-laws house, broke post-seminary, two kids, and can't even make enough money to get us a rental home. Living the dream. Living the dream. That's just one case in point. And, you know, we trained our stuff over to, to Seattle. We're going to do this job. I say, no, we go back to the East Coast, live my in-law. Like it's those are the kind of gymnastics that I put my wife and kids through because I would hear nothing of anybody but what I think God's saying directly to me, not even what I listened to my wife. It was just a lot of pain. What was the moment that this began to shift for you? After 14 years of this kind of spiritual instability and volatility, so also my emotions were not you know, super stable either through this whole process, my wife finally said, enough's enough. You're not healthy to be here in the home. You're not, it's not healthy for the kids. You're not stable. I think we need to get separated. And eventually I agreed to do that. And when I eventually did move out, and at this time I had four kids, we'd been married 14 years. That's when I finally came to the end of my approach to life and said, I think I need help. And so it was actually that separation that pushed me over the edge to be open to receive help from somebody. Hmm. And so I ended up finding a men's group that was tied to uh, Ransom Heart or Wild at Heart Ministries on the East Coast Mm -hmm. and started really digging into that material with those men and coming to find out, wow, I need a whole lot of help. (laughs) (laughs) Much more help than I realized. And so that that was the turning point. And you're not alone, right? The, The great news was, is I was not alone in my sorrow or my story or my struggle in yeah. being in the, with those other men who had been a little bit further front of me saying God restored my marriage or after I did lose my marriage, God restored me and then he restored my life. Like they had testimony after testimony of testimony of no matter how bad it got, God redeemed it. God restored it. And it gave me hope that maybe I could be different and my circumstances could be different. So what was it in the first steps that you took that made the most dramatic impact on the way you were thinking about all this? I think that there was a piece of advice that I actually ended up putting in the book from a mentor. So I actually garnered enough trust to trust an older man. And there was a guy that I thought I was really had a strong affinity for. He was leading a huge missions organization, loved God, believed in men, did radical things. I was like, all right, I can trust this guy. We built a relationship. And when it got really, really bad and nasty, if you've ever been around divorce or bad separations, when nobody has an answer, it's just like, oh gosh, there's no answer. It's so bad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, that was my situation. And I said, do you have any advice for me? And his advice was very simple. And he basically told me, go low and trust big. And what he meant by that was take the humble road in every situation that you're in. And at that time, I was considering lawyers and fighting my wife and getting access to the kids and how much am I going to get? And so he was like, no, take the humble road, stop fighting and take and go the humble route. And then the other one was trust big, trust that God does actually raise up the humble. Instead of protecting yourself, fighting for your rights, you're going to really have to trust God that he means what he says when he says he will raise the humble up. So put yourself in a vulnerable position in a very traumatic situation with your wife and your children. Put everything at risk. Take the humble road. 
and see what happens. That's the advice that turned my, my life around. You had to make a conscious, difficult choice to do that in every interaction, didn't you? Yeah. And the biggest example of that was hearkening back to my, I'm going to be just a monster like my dad. My dad was uh, diagnosed with bipolar. Hmm. And uh, that was part of the reason why things were so crazy at home. And my wife had always said, hey, there's something not, there's something off with you. And I would be like, no, I'm born again. I'm good. In fact, I wrote against, while I was in seminary, I would write against the mixture of psychology and biblical theology. Talk to the hand again, right? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I, I'll have nothing of it. And so when, the, the, when this guy gave me the advice and it really kind of came home and I said, okay, I will do this. I told my wife, I said, we'd been separated eight months at that time. I was like, I know this is not going to help, but just to show you that I I'm, I finally am listening, I will go to a psychiatrist and see what they say. And so what I did is I humbled myself, did that, and ended up with a diagnosis like my dad. Wow. And then it was sort of trust big, right? It was like, all right, do I fight this, which I fought all my life, mm-hmm. or do I yield? Do I yield to this? diagnosis and people can you know debate this biblically whatever but i'm just telling you my story mm-hmm. real faith story it was a um, faith story of yielding saying okay god i'm willing to do this and then i got on medication and i started to stabilize some of my emotions started to stabilize that stabilization led to my wife and i being able to at least communicate up to that point, we had not been able to. And it started to kind of turn the corner, but it still took a year and a half or almost a year and a half. So we were apart in separate houses for two years. But through humility, going low and trusting big, God restored our marriage and uh, my family. Incredible. During this process, when you got diagnosed and then got a medication, what was your relationship with Jesus like? Desperate. I can say... In all sincerity, I grew closer to God in those years than I ever had prior. And here's probably the absolute main reason why. Prior to that, I was very busy with religious activities. I'd grown up Camps Crusade. They were big on evangelism and quiet times and Bible reading and prayer and church service. And so I was all about it. Even in the midst of all of our turmoil, I was very, very active in Christian things. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming to this point where we were we had been separated for, I don't know, maybe four months at this point. About four months into our separation, it was our anniversary. My wife refused to speak to me. I got demoted on my job during the same day. Wow. I had lost a ministry, missions ministry I had started, and I was ostracized from my church. All on the same mostly day? Mostly because the way I was like, it built up to that day. Okay. And so there I was broke, busted, and disgusted. And <laughs> and I remember sitting there with God, and he just started to communicate to me, I love you. And my question back to him was, how can you love me? Like, look at me, I'm a mess. Even if I wanted to serve you and do things, I can't at my church because of the whole situation with my wife and I kind of give me a bad name. My work doesn't want me. My wife apparently doesn't want me. I don't have access to my kids. I try to do missions and try to do ministry, and that's all falling apart. So here I am. I can't do anything for you. And then he was like, and there, right there, now you need to receive my love. It was the very first time that I didn't have a quid pro quo with God. I do this, then you love. I create fruit, then you think 
you're happy with me. Yeah. It was the first time I had actually received from the Lord love. And I really, at that stage of my life, could do nothing but receive it. And, and that is what transformed my heart. Incredible. You know, it reminds me of this picture I've got is this revolver, this handgun with the performance bullets. And what happened was all the bullets got emptied out of your performance gun. They're gone now. And God is like, okay, now you can receive my love because it's not based on your performance. Performance was king. Productivity was king. God saved me because uh, there was a job to be done and he wanted me to do it. And my whole life with him up to that point was, I am failing you. I am a failure as a Christian. I produce terrible fruit. My fruit rots. Look at my family. Look at my marriage. Look at my failed ministry attempts. And I just felt like a flawed individual that just created bad things. It was the very first time I was like, this is legit. Like, you just love me just because you love me. And it finally sunk in. So powerful. What happened when that experience occurred in your heart and in your mind? What happened next? That love gave me the ability to be vulnerable. That love gave me the ability to be humble. And that love gave me the ability to trust like a child in some very tumultuous situations. It allowed me to take my friend's advice and actually put it into practice. And what I saw was God restored and rebuilt a marriage far more beautiful than it had ever been before, a father and a parent in me far more beautiful than ever been before, a friend and a brother far more approachable and effective and fruitful than I'd ever been before. And the striving that had been characterized most of my life was was gone. And then it just was kind of like that for many years. There wasn't a whole lot. Of, I didn't restart a ministry. I didn't, even though I do stuff now, that's all years and years later. Like during those that season, it was just sort of the rebuilding of the family and the destruction of some of the, the sort of the end of the destructive ways that that I had grown up with, kind of bringing those to an end in my own home. What was one of the practices, one of the new habits that you formed as a result of this encounter with the love of God? I let go. I'm a pretty active and ambitious person. And so much of my prayer time with God was always about reaching for something, right? Mm -hmm. And and I remember having this um, great conversation with a mentor of mine during that season. And I remember saying to him, this is the first time in my life that I am not ambitiously seeking something. Hmm. I actually am just being. A great verse that kind of captures this is, I think it's Psalm 131, where David is speaking, and he says, I do not consider a great matter, but my soul is like a weaned child within me. I came to this point where I was very childlike and, you know, a nightmare to productivity coaches. Like, (laughs) you know, like I was just a child before God. Uh I had no goal. I had no thing I was going to accomplish through my faith or through my effort or through my whatever. Mm-hmm. I was just a wean child before God, like sitting on his lap, enjoying his presence, trusting that something good would come of it all, which it totally has. What was one of the statements from your wife as you went through this process that was like, okay, I know this is real because she sees this? Oh, yeah. That's a insightful question. You must be married. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She said the thing that changed was I became a, a more approachable person. Prior to that, when she would 
try to engage with me in relationship, I always had some acts I was grinding or some agenda I was pushing. And I was always summarizing our interaction like, are you are you supporting what I want or are you countering what I want? Mm-hmm. And so it was always this very combative situation. And I was always driving towards some goal that I wanted to achieve. And so the thing that she noticed was that stopped. I became a person that she could build a life with and a relationship with. And there was no sort of master plan that I was trying to get us to get her to get on board with. We were just enjoying one another and, and being faithful and, and receiving whatever God would, would give. As you started to just sit on the lap of the father, as it were, as this weaned child, according to the scripture. How did your appetites change with respect to hearing from God? And then, okay, I believe this is something I'm being led into, as opposed to, this is my plan and daggone it, I'm going to get it done. So, number one is that God in his mercy never stopped communicating with me. But the thing that changed was that when I ever felt like there was some sort of direction, I was quick to submit it or offer it to my wife and to other people's for counsel. It's a 180, man, from the way you lived previously. Wow. And it wasn't that they were going to determine what I was going to do, but all of a sudden I started to follow the scriptures that I can trust my brothers. I Mm. can trust my friends. I can trust my mentors or my fathers in the faith. I can trust my wife and I can trust God that there will be a collective yes as we try to seek the direction that God may be leading us, which is one of the things we talked about before the show was one of the big ones was we left everything and became missionaries, which was humongous (laughs) from a risk standpoint with our background. Please share how you got led into that and what occurred. And I know that you indicated there's had some huge takeaways from that experience I'd love for you to share. Yeah, so God in his brilliance started it out this way. As our family solidified, became healthy, we started to enjoy one another. I stopped being a a negative impact on my family and started being a positive impact on our family. My oldest daughter graduated high school and we were praying about what are her best next steps. And both my wife and I had this wild idea and we were like, we have always loved Youth with a Mission. It's such a, an expansive ministry that ministers in such creative ways all around the world. And we said, wouldn't it be amazing if she goes to Kona, Hawaii, to one of their main bases and gets exposed to how you can serve God with children or with television or with media or with preaching or with hospital care or all these expansive ways you can serve God? Because at the time, she was kind of looking at life a little bit narrow, being a young person, only exposed to certain things. Mm-hmm. And her, her mom and I were like, there's a big world out there, and God's involved in all of it, and we'd love to allow you to see the good that could happen in a broader sense. Well, we started dreaming that way, and then all of a sudden, our daughter says, I, I, I'd love to go to Kona, Hawaii, and go with YWAM. <laughs> and we didn't tell her anything. You didn't whisper anything to her about this. No. And we were like, oh, okay, Lord. And so the short of it is she ends up going. And when, and it was, uh, when we went, I think it was our 20th anniversary, we ended up taking her and spending some time in Hawaii. And during that season or during that time, God started to whisper to my wife, because one of the main things that 
my wife and I wanted to do when we first got married was become missionaries mm-hmm. and specifically with YWAM. You know, this is 20 years later, right? Yeah. And we've got grown kids and mortgages and jobs and all this stuff. And the short of it is God started it with my wife, whispered her ear about it. Hey, this, this dream could come true for you guys. And then she trusted me enough to share it with me. And I'm not even thinking that anymore. Like I'm just doing my work and enjoying family and just kind of life is relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of given up my ministry desires or missionary desires. And when she shared it with me, like the desire to do it went through the roof. And then all of a sudden, her and I were absolutely on the same page. And a lot of people around us were like, oh, my gosh, that would be great. And even our children, knowing what's at risk, because they had to, it cost them, like my son had to leave hockey. My mother's son had to leave college. There was a bunch of things we were putting at risk. But we all were like, yes, God wants us to do that. When this was spoken to you, it exploded in your heart, this desire. And yes. everybody on your team, in other words, your family members was like, yes, I feel the same thing. Yeah, which was huge because it, it didn't start with me, which was a great way to start it just because of our history. <laughs> yeah. The fact that it started with my wife was, was and it was so radical. Yeah, it, it just was like, wow, this come out of left field. But then when it happened, it's like, I never knew that I desired that so much until it happened. And then I knew that we have to do this. Hmm. Now, it it still took two years of us discussing it, debating it, like how will this work, all this other things, but we eventually did go. And so we went, I took our younger two kids, I quit my job. God had given us um, the ability to keep the house at least temporarily Mm -hmm. because it was a six month assignment. We had some people live in the house and take care of some of the bills. And we stepped out in faith, not knowing where we would end up at the end of that six months. But we took our younger two, the older two stayed in college and we ended up going to Kona for three months. And then we were assigned to a, a remote island on the Philippines where we did a lot of ministry for another three months. How old were you at that time, Troy? I was 50. All right. 50. What a mind blow. Yeah. I I read this blog post you shared with me about the seven things you learned by leaving everything and following Jesus. I'd love to go through those seven points with you, please. These are dear to my heart. They were such powerful lessons, stepping out in faith at my age with all my responsibilities. And before I tell you the seven things, I'll just remind people, the listeners, God called Abraham when he was old and he had a lot of stuff. So don't don't think just because you have a lot of responsibility, God can't call you to do radical things. Wow, that's good. So here are the seven things that that I took away from it. Number one is that just because God guides you into something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I kind of went into it thinking, well, this is supernatural, so I'm going to have a supernatural grace, and it's going to be as if it will be easy. I'll just be floating on air. It was not that way. It, It was the pain of the things we did. Sometimes we got physically sick. Like There was a lot of things that we went through in this process of being missionaries, but there was a grace to do it. It was a visceral experience. It wasn't just this like supernatural floating on a cloud, everything's fine experience, but it still was 100% worth it. The other lesson I learned is God doesn't need our talent, ability, or strength. So one of the things we discovered as missionaries is that we were doing so much ministry that we were tired. We were physically sick. We were kind of uninspired at, at points, yet 
when we said to God, we will do this, God showed up in miraculous ways. People got saved. People got healed. People got touched by the Holy Spirit. And it was all out of this tremendous weakness that our family, as well as the team we were with, which were other families, because we went to a family-oriented mission so that the kids were involved. Every The whole family did ministry. It wasn't just mom and dad. It was the whole family. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the powerful lesson, is that he really needs our yes. He uses our talent, skill, and abilities and strength. But all he really needs is our yes, and then he does the rest. That, uh, again, just flies in the face of the performance mentality, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the weaker we were, the more fruit it was produced when we stepped out in faith and did did things for the Lord. It, it was amazing. It really was. And your 14-year-old son, who'd never preached before, Yeah. tell us what happened there. So he is on mission with us, and we have so many like preaching opportunities, et cetera. And we just, because it was a family thing, it wasn't just the parents. It was just like, does anybody want to preach? We have this opportunity. And my son was like, I'll do it. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) okay. Not like he's ever done that before. And sure enough, he, he got an outline together and he preached a sermon. I think like he preached two sermons while we were there. And I think 30 people came to the Lord the first sermon and like 20 some the next sermon. (laughs) I mean, like it was miraculous. And then everybody started calling him Pastor Olin, but it it was just miraculous. I mean, it was a kid preaching and it was very simple messages, but it it was the power of God was on it. It was, I just can't even, it was awesome. I love that. That is so instructive for us as parents, as older people, as it were, in air quotes. It's like you said, God is just looking for our yes. There's preparation. Lord, help me, guide me, help me put this together. But man, without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. Yeah. And I'll say to that point, we needed somebody to step up because we were doing so much and we were tired. Mm -hmm. And our need, the parents' need, opened up an opportunity for the children to step in and do something miraculous through God's strength. Mm -hmm. And had we not stepped out in faith and put ourselves at a deficit, our children would not have stepped up and stepped up into something they could offer. And I think that's really key for parents to hear because all the time we want everything to be together and perfect and and everything to be, all of our ducks to be lined up in a row because God's not going to use our kids. We got to be God for them. Yeah, It's a lie. You don't have to be God for your kids. God can be God for your kids. And you can, if you're in need, you can be in need and God can still meet the needs of your kids. What was the third thing that you took away? Yeah, I learned that God guides as you go. And so a, a famous quote from a missionary that we got exposed to named Dan Bauman and YWAM, he basically said, if you're 51% sure, go for it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and I love that because he'll guide you as you go. And that's what I discovered. So instead of getting a bunch of upfront instruction, we got it in sort of on the job training. Yeah. As you're taking those steps, right? Yeah. And so a couple, couple of things I'll hit a couple quickly. God broke fear off my life. I had a lot of fear and, and, and he did it through adventure. I did things that physically were a lot riskier than I would was comfortable with. We, we rode on these planks of wood on the side of this like motorcycle, like going through this rainforest. I did some ridiculous things, but God, he basically would like there would be adventure and he'd be like, I know you're afraid, but it's going to be okay. Step out and do it. And I would do it fearful and God would work it out. And I was able to do that with my children 
And so they, it wasn't like I was in this fearful state all the time. God, through adventure, kind of broke off a lot of fear in my life and allowed to participate. I was able to model that you can trust God in adventure for my kids in which they got to enjoy it too. God was faithful to provide. You know, there's the big money question for everybody. Oh, yeah. It's like, how did this all work out? God provided money for us for the event. We raised funds. We used savings and we kind of did a combo. God provided at the end of the six months, we didn't end up being full-time missionaries. God said, I want you to go back. He gave me a job. I didn't even look for it. It just was handed to me almost. And the day I got that paycheck was the day we ran out of money. (laughs) And so God was faithful for everything we didn't go without in one situation. So God's faithful to provide. And I now own that. (laughs) Yeah. Two more. We can be happy with so little in life. At one time, I think we were living in a um, probably like the size of two closets room, all four of us. And we lived there for, for a long time. We lived on very little. We had very little and we were super happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when we came back to our home, we were like, we don't need all this space. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, what? It was just, it was amazing. Like we lived in such physical close proximity. We grew together closer as a family. And whereas our, you know, big house in the suburbs now, all of our kids are spread out with their own TVs and all this other business and everybody's kind of disconnected from each other. But it was amazing how happy we were with so little. And then the last thing I'll say is this was probably the first time that I ever experienced true sacrifice. You know, you talk about the sacrifice of praise. And after that event, I remember coming back after three months on the mission field, we had struggled with dysentery. Some of our team members got dengue, which is like malaria. It's very serious. It was it was a struggle. And uh, we had interpersonal struggles in some of the team and, and our kids struggled with the food. It was blessed and difficult. I think our team ended up seeing like 250 people get saved over that time period. Wow. And I remember worshiping the Lord after the whole thing. And I remember thanking him saying, you know what, God, I now understand the sacrifice of praise. What I've gone through was a real, practical, visceral sacrifice. Mm. And I praise you. And I am so grateful. And when I worship, it's coming out of a deficit. Mm. And it was beautiful. And I, and I would want that for any of your listeners. It is the most holy, precious thing to truly give a sacrifice of praise. When something has really cost you and you could turn to the Lord and said, you're, you're still good. You're still worthy. And what an honor to be able to sacrifice this to serve you. So that's what I learned. Yeah, I feel that. Thanks for sharing those things, Troy. How can people find out more about you? They can go to troymangum.com and that's M-A-N-G-U-M. I run a pretty active podcast where I interview people like this, like you do, and kind of get them to tell testimonies and stories. They can find their where to buy my book. They can find a missions ministry now that I'm a part of with a board called Caleb Would Go. And then they can find out about a men's ministry that I'm involved in called Hochoka. Great. And with respect to your book, although we didn't dive into it, I'll have information in the show notes about that as well for anybody that's interested. Fatherhood Face Plants. I read the reviews. They're incredible. So I encourage anybody to take a look at that and pick up the book. Yeah. And I'll say the tagline, the tagline is how to get back up and be the dad your kids need. And that's the key. It's about getting, it's not some sad story about all my failures. It's about how to get back up 
it's how God gives us the ability to get back up no matter what. As we finish up here, Troy, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Lord, I I pray for the listeners that you would give them the opportunity like you gave me to trust you in a radical way and to truly jump off with you in faith into something amazing that they can walk through with you so that they can come out of that experience, Lord, with a deeper faith that you are trustworthy, you are worthy of our whole lives, and you are so faithful to your word. And so, Lord, that's my prayer for the listeners, Lord. Give them that opportunity, small and large, so that they can know the joy that I know now, Lord, which is you're so trustworthy, you're so faithful, and you're so good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Troy. Loved your story. So appreciate your time today. Thank you, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.